My name is Michael Hagen. I'm from Shelbyville, Illinois originally, but I live in Champaign and have kind of lived all over the country. I transferred here for work. A woman I was dating at the time was wanting to go to school up here, and the company I worked for in Effingham uh, actually had a, they had just bought a business up here, and so I transferred within the company and came up here for her school and my work, and uh, neither one lasted very long. I did not grow up in church. Um, my parents split when I was fairly young, and my, we actually stayed with my dad, which was rare for the early 80s. My faith background was pretty much non-existent. Um, I, you know, would go to church as a kid, not really knowing what it was, you know, and it would be random when we would go. Um, just like when we go to visit my grandparents or something, we would go, but, um, and then, you know, probably sometime around my teens, I started to rebel a lot and, you know, even like considered myself like a strict, like militant atheist at, at certain points. I thought, you know, like, oh, it's the thing I'm gonna do to rebel. Like people are this way, I'm this way, just because, you know what, I wanna rebel right now. You know, it was the, early 90s all the the Christian kids had nothing cool going on and the secular kids had it all so you know all the good music all the good uh, movies all the fun stuff and I got connected with First Christian Church through my now wife we were we were dating at the time we were um, it's funny we met online and she wouldn't talk to me um, because in my in my profile I said, "Oh, like it said like religion." I said like none. When she's like, "Oh, we don't share the same faith goals," I was like, "Oh, you know, like I, I'm willing to like check it out." I just put none because I don't like go to church or whatever. But she's like, "I really want someone to go to church with me," and I was like. Well, I'll, you know, I'm willing to check it out. I'm not opposed to it. And at that point, you know, my thoughts were, you know, I'd, I'd gotten into a lot of like, just like philosophy stuff and history stuff in general and was thinking like, oh, you know, I like, you know, the words of Jesus as like a philosophical thing, as like, a, you know, if there was no like big religion attached to this, this would still be something pretty motivational and, and something, you know, pretty like words to live by, you know? So I, uh, I wasn't opposed to going to church with her. Um, so I, I agreed, she agreed to continue to talk to me. <laughs> and then eventually we, we, uh, we met and uh, I mean, within a couple of weeks we were talking about getting married. We just, she was like the, I had been waiting like my whole, you know, I was 38 when we met, so basically 38 years for her. And then that's when she was like, well, we need to go to church. And I was like, okay, but I'm not gonna be involved. I'm not gonna go to group. I'm not gonna do all this stuff. I'll go, but I'm not gonna, not gonna like care about it, right? It looked like, 
the world looked like, not just a bunch of stuffy old farmers going to church. And here, it was not like that. You know, it was like a whole age range. It was, you know, a whole, de you know, racial demographic range. And, and it was just more like what I thought, you know, life was, you know, like representative of, you know, we've got all ages, all colors, you know, somebody like Jeff, for instance, like he and I are close to the same age. Like he did his, his sermon about how he came to God or came back, I guess. And that like really resonated with me, you know, cause I did the same things that he did in college. You know, I was like, wow. And this guy's up here now. And like this guy was clearly at one point just as flawed as I was and am. And yet he's able to lead the congregation. They accept it. And that, and he's able to know beyond a shadow of doubt that God loves him. God wanted him back in his flock and accepted him back in his flock. And that it was all, no matter what, was going to be okay. That, like, changed my mind. Christians are not Jesus. If you think that I don't like church or I don't, I don't believe in God because these Christians were bad to me, that doesn't mean anything because that's not Jesus. I would say, like, try it for yourself before you just flat out deny it. Don't think of what the what you think of as stereotypical Christian behavior is. Like, don't think of that as like, oh, I have to be this way or I have to be a certain political party or I have to have this specific idea. Like, you'll come to all of the ideas that you will come to when you look at the world through the lens of the Bible. My life has changed dramatically. And I've done nothing different except for, accept God into my life and accept Jesus as my savior. I think if you watch like our church online, on Facebook or something, you just get inundated with Christian merch ads on Facebook. And one thing I saw was like, you know, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? But like they had added to the second, added to it. And it was like, he would love first, HWLF. And I totally love that. I totally love that. And I, I think that that's what, one thing that made me kept coming here was that point of view, because no matter what, he would love first. I'm Michael Hagan, and this is my story. Made for camera, look at this guy. <laughs>
in difficult times. People who will begin to meet people where they are and lead them to places of health and restoration. Maybe this was why Jesus was so specific when he talked about discipleship that he would use an image like being a a shepherd. A shepherd. There's a moment in scripture where Jesus pulls some of his closest friends together And he has them as disciples, followers in the way of his teaching and the way that he would approach people. And he says, let's take a moment and people watch. And as they're looking at the crowds, he begins to speak into their lives about what he sees in the crowd, in the masses around him. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 9. It says, when he, meaning Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Imagine this. When Jesus looks at the crowds of his day, he sees people who are in need, who could use guidance. It sounds so much like the day that we're in right now, in the season that we're in with COVID-19. The added stress The added pressure, the added confusion has many of us running around harassed and helpless. And that's why we need a shepherd as well. That word compassion, though, stands out of that passage. It's always stood out to me. The word compassion describes a deep pit in the stomach response. That it it tears up your insides. It's not just feeling bad, but it's sensing that there's a need, that something is wrong, that something must be done, and change must happen. It's a compassion that causes us to look beyond ourselves. It's others-focused. It's outwardly focused. And you cannot focus on yourself and truly be compassionate. But when you are focused outwardly towards others, you are compelled by something, by the love and compassion of God to do something about it, which leads us to our value for the day. Outward compassion. Outward compassion is the second value of this series. So let me take a moment just to say welcome to First Things First. This is our third week in our series where we have introduced a new mission of our church and the values that are going to underscore that mission. Here's what we've been talking about. Specifically, we've been challenging our church not to just settle for being Christian, but to live a life that God has called us to, which is to be a disciple, a follower, a student of Jesus. We described a disciple as this. A disciple is someone who is actively loving God and others for the sake of, the, of advancing God's kingdom. Meaning we don't just learn about who God is. We don't just allow it to impact us and make us feel differently. But there is a mission, a cause that we are joining into to advance the work of God, his kingdom in this world. We understand that love is our standard above all else. To love God and to love others as ourselves, And we accept the responsibility to advance the kingdom of God, God's work, understanding that each one of us will give an account for our lives before God one day. So our new mission is this. It's helping each other follow Jesus. 
Now, this is not just about me, but it's about the we. Otherwise, we miss the value entirely. Together, we need to follow Jesus. Together, we need to spur one another on to continue and be faithful to the cause and the calling that God has placed on our lives. And the wake of our influence should lead people towards Jesus. It should help introduce those who have never known Jesus to the living God, Jesus himself, the one who gives the forgiveness of sins. Now, last week we unpacked our very first value, which we just said it was this, right? It's a loving community. That God has called us to be a loving community where we will lead with love and instill dignity and relationship for all people. It's important for us to, be, us to be able to look people in the eye, to treat them with honor and respect wherever their journey may be, but to, to value them and to help lead them into a relationship with our church, with other Christ followers, with our own lives. We are called to be the Jesus community within our local community, meaning the calling on our lives demands that we live out the character of Jesus in this world. And collectively, we are the witness of Jesus. And we are his people. People who are called out to live as a community within our community. So our second value is this. It's outward compassion. And we would define it this way. We will externally impact the community in radical ways for the sake of the gospel. I mean, if we want to be a loving community, how do we best see that? It's by focusing outside of ourselves in radical ways so that people might see God, his strength, his might, his purpose in our community. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you just to open up to Matthew 25. That's where we're going to find ourselves today. And we're going to find ourselves in an illustration of where Jesus begins to explain the very nature and character of disciples who follow after him, specifically in how we express our compassion, how it gets lived out. Now, ironically, this is in a series of discourses that Jesus is laying out, and it Every discourse that he has in this moment, in this passage in Matthew, he's actually speaking about what it will be like in the return of Jesus, in the second coming, when we are led to a day of judgment and accountability before God. And in every one of those situations, there's an encouragement about how to be prepared to live every moment as if this is the one that Christ might return. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. He says this, When the Son of Man, this is a phrase that's going to be used about Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Let's pause for a second. Jesus is describing himself as the son of man. Now, this is a a phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament, but its intention is to declare that Jesus is God himself, that God is born of flesh. The listeners of Jesus's day would know this phrase because they've actually had a heritage, a faith heritage that began to see God, 
God himself to one day come in human form. It's a line in the sand that Jesus is drawing about himself in front of these people to say, the one that you have been waiting for is me. That's what Jesus is saying. And I am the one who ultimately holds the authority over sin and death. And I will be the one who stands to give account for all people's lives. Therefore, Jesus takes a moment to describe this moment as we stand before God to give an account for our own lives. And he uses this term of shepherd. And shepherd is a a phrase that gets used all throughout scripture. Think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's it's a portrait of God's character and the way that God treats his people. So once again, Jesus is using familiar language to describe himself and the relationship that he has with all people. Jesus is declaring that he is God. He's declaring that he's the one to sacrifice himself on our behalf. He's the one that will provide salvation for all people. And literally in this passage, this description of standing before God has every tribe, tongue, and nation, all people standing before Jesus. Jesus then takes a moment though, but to describe us. If he is the shepherd in this illustration, then we are like sheep or like goats. Now, if I was to ask you, what's the difference between sheep and goats, you would begin to talk pretty differently about maybe how they act or how, how they look. But the reality was that in Jesus's day, oftentimes herds and flocks of goats and sheep would often run through the hillside together. And when looking at them, they would look very, very similar. So what Jesus is doing is he's setting up a conversation about sheep are sheep, but goats are not sheep. And though they look familiar, and though they do similar things, they are distinctly different in who they are. And we are called to be like sheep, to follow after the shepherd. And so he begins to describe what sheep look like. And so every one of us who has ears, who who claim the name of Jesus, who, who say that we have given our life to him, Because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, his sacrifice on our behalf, we should perk up our ears and begin to listen in. What does it look like to be a sheep? Standing before God to give account for our lives, here's what Jesus says about sheep. He says this, He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So clear separation. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, Lord, when did, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Uh, when did we see a stranger and invite you in or, 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 or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply this, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, He did for me. 
Now, if this illustration is an illustration about the day of accountability that we stand before God, there's some interesting pieces that come out of this passage. First and foremost, Jesus describes the sheep, the righteous, as being the ones blessed by God. And a life of blessing all throughout Scripture is usually not about a, a bigger escalade or a nicer house or a job promotion. Blessing is the rewarding of God's favor and character in your life because of your faithfulness or because of your obedience to what the shepherd asks of you. Furthermore, he begins to describe this reward toward our, our obedience as the plan of the kingdom. It's always been the king's heart since the beginning of creation that we would follow after the shepherd and we would experience God's blessing by being obedient to his will and his way in our world. All of humanity and all of creation is intended to live under the hand of this king or by the guidance of this shepherd. Jesus makes this clear though. Those who follow after me love like me. A friend of mine's church, he has this statement. He says this, their mission statement is this, to love God, to love people and do something. It's this idea that this compassion in us is not just to say, oh yeah, I'm loving. Oh God, I love you so much. Oh God, they're, they're in need, God. It's to say, if we love God and if we love people, then we are compelled to be the kind of people who step in for the oppressed, to meet the needs of those who are hurting, to engage those who are on the fringes, to help those who have not experienced life, life everlasting or to the full as Jesus has intended it. So let me take part of what we talked about last week as far as being a loving community. We talked about three arenas that we want to begin to apply this. Once again, the illustration is for the righteous, the ones who follow after the shepherd or submit to this king, that we are these kind of people to live out these values. Uh, the first arena that we talked about in our three arenas of community was this, the public. The public arena. And I think we need to learn this, this idea that kingdom ministry is people ministry. Let me say that again. Kingdom ministry is people ministry. Now we're talking about the community at large, the public, the masses that we run into or experience on a regular basis around our area. And kingdom ministry sometimes, especially in COVID, we have been exposed that too many of us think kingdom ministry is about a building. Or it's about a program. Or it's about an event. And kingdom ministry, living the life that Jesus calls to, is always about people. Now, he's not calling us to charity. Charity is doing something nice because someone's in need. But, but ministry is about serving and caring for those around us because God would care for them. God has placed you in that moment to care for them. And this is God's heart being lived out in that moment. It's very different. Doing ministry is different than just maybe writing a check and handing it off or, or giving $20 and just saying, oh, I'm done. 
Ministry may require of us to roll up our sleeves, to jump in and actually journey with people. And it will get messy. There's no doubt about that. But our motive for serving in ministry like this has to come from a pure heart. And sometimes, friends, we confuse ministry about the way it makes us feel. Let me give you an example. I uh, had the privilege to go to the Dominican Republic, and I've shared this before with us as a congregation. But I got frustrated with the work and the the inefficiency, and there were so many needs going on, and I, I was hot and I was tired. And I sat down with a friend of mine who just began to pour into me, and he said these words to me. I'll never forget them. Danny, many people come to the Dominican to find poverty, but they find it in their own heart. As a young 20-something, I, I was embarrassed because I, I came as the grand American, the great white hope, to an area of need and thought that maybe I'll throw on my Christian cape and I'll begin to make a difference. And really what happened is I realized that a lot of what I was doing, a lot of who I was in that moment was about Danny's making a difference. Danny's doing something great. Oh, this is going to be awesome for Danny. And I was exposed that as a young Christ follower, it wasn't about serving Jesus. It was about serving me. See, we can't get focused on what about me because the way of Jesus always points externally, outwardly towards others. And we know Jesus is this kind of lover. Jesus is this kind of king who cares for people. Jesus always prioritized the one over the crowd. Jesus always served those who were in need around him. Jesus forgave those who wronged him. Jesus blessed those who persecuted him. Why? Because of the sake of the kingdom. It's all about giving God's love, sharing God's love, so that people may know God's love and the life that God desires for them. Second of all, a second arena was this. It's the pew arena or a congregation. And the principle is this, that serving others is serving Jesus. Do you notice how Jesus makes a very quick application to say, if you served someone like this, the least of these, you are serving me. This is a a humbling experience. I mean, this is a line in the sand. Because imagine this just for a moment, okay? Listen to this. That our service, our compassion towards others is not simply the validation that God is at work, but your service towards somebody is if it is literally touching the hem of the garment, the hand of Jesus, knowing that God is in your presence. So when you think of the widow or the orphan or someone in need, or you think of your neighbor or someone grieving, Maybe this will change our mindset. That maybe, maybe when we see those around us that are hurting, that our ability to serve and care for them is the way that we would care for Jesus in the world that we're a part of. One of the beautiful examples I love about when we launched the location in Urbana, we, we began to do some things to kind of put a niche on that location. And one of the phrases that Pastor Eric and others came up with was, Serve one, serve all. It's kind of the flip of what we just talked about. That if we're going to serve God, we should serve all. 
There's no discrimination. There's no filter. There's no, uh, we only serve these kind of people. If they look like me, act like me, make as much money as me, talk like me, vote like me. No, to serve God is to serve all. But Jesus would say, to serve all is like serving me. The third arena that maybe we need to wrestle with is just this. It's the personal arena. That's everyone within our reach. And I believe that what this passage is challenging for us is that we become the kind of people who look out for the left out. Jesus, Jesus always went for the one that was lost rather than to stay with the masses. We see it in the parable of the prodigal son. We see it in the parable of the lost coin. We see it in the parable of the lost sheep. We see it in the example of Zacchaeus, a man who's excluded out of the journey of Jesus into a community. And he goes to him and spends lunch with him. We're called to take God's love to people, not wait for them to find us, not to be the kind of people who say, well, I love everybody and hope that they somehow know that we're a Christian. We are called to engage people where they are. Now think about this. Think about this. This is not just about the down and out though, right? Because let's be careful. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we exclude ourselves from the real need, don't we? Can we confess this for a moment? That we serve somebody who might be in need or somebody who might be, dare we say, not on our level. And maybe that, maybe subconscious, subconsciously, literally what we're saying is, well, I'm not as bad as you. That's not who God's called us to be. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is recognizing that everyone is in need some way, somewhere. And so this raises the issue. What do you do about the guy or the gal who has everything but has nothing? What do you do about the person that seems to have life all by in their hands, all wrapped up, going the direction they want, but yet they feel miserable? They're not satisfied. What do you do with the young person that's living their life as freely and wildly as they can, but late at night, they scroll through their phone, wrestling with if they're enough. See, we could apply this as a, the haves help the have-nots. But the picture that Jesus wants us to understand is that we all are in need. And that the love of God is on us to care for others. I need to confess this phrase, look out for the left out, is not mine. I have some friends, uh, Benjamin and Crystal Woods. If you know them, they're a great couple and they have three children. And they have these values that they try and uh, instill in their children. These, these culture values of who the Woods family is, are, is this declaration of, hey, this is who we are. This is how we roll. This is what our life is going to be about. And so it began to be birthed out of this conversation where uh, daddy would take Cal to school and on the way to school, they would turn on Carver Street. Carver Street was the street that led to the local elementary or to the school that she was attending at that time. As, as they drive down, it was Cal who said, daddy, we should pray for these households. We should pay, pray for all these students 
And so Ben was stirred up, and as they normally pray on their way to school, Ben began to pray, God help us to look out for the left out. He describes a scenario where he's uh, sitting down with two of his children, his two older children, Ezra and Kala. And one night he reads the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, the parable about the, the man who goes out of his way to meet the man in need. And when he finishes, he says, what does this make you think of? And his two children respond. We need to look out for the left out. The challenging part of this story about Kala is that a little over a year ago, this young child got a tumor. It onset, it onset quickly. And a year ago, she passed away. Benjamin, as a friend, has confided, shared some things with me. He says, you know, the testimony of how this got wrapped up around Kala is a testimony to her her outgoing personality, while all of our family holds this value, all of them live this out. In some ways, Kala's a little more outgoing about it. Her personality is more of the front runner of it. And so he said, you know, I, I'm reminded to the testimony of my own daughter, how other children have come to him since her death and said, Kala looked out for me at school or at play. I was left out and she always made sure that I was included. He described to me that uh, different events that they would do at times, uh, Kala always had a plan and her intention was to engage, to invite people to come and be a part of those moments. And so of course, those who were maybe overlooked or marginalized or not included in everything else, Kala took her plan and engaged the people right where they're. She even went as far as she started her own business to make slime. And she sold it to people in her community so that she could pay for her way to Romania to go on a mission trip with her father to serve the orphans in Romania. Friends, the faith of children often inspire us to be most like Jesus. And what if we took this anthem like Kala to look out for the left out? Maybe we would begin to love like Jesus. Jesus says it this way, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for another. That's the portrait of Jesus. That Jesus gave of himself. He died his death, our death on the cross. It paid for our sin. It gives us new life through this resurrection. It is the very nature of the gospel that at the core of all of us, that we would be a part of a loving community that would wreck the roof, do whatever it takes to reach people where they are. And that would require of us an outward compassion that we would be compelled in a way to do something more than say that we love God or just simply say that we love people, that we would do something. You know, Jesus finishes this passage this way. He says this in verse 41. I mean, what about the goats, right? Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and I was in prison and you did not look after me. But they will answer, Lord, Lord, when did we see you? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in a person and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, For the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away into the eternal punishment. But the righteous, eternal life. This is a difficult line in the sand. It's a definitive moment that as Christians, we are called to be sheep not goats, that we are called to look like the ones who follow after the way of the shepherd, not just somewhat like sheep or similar to sheep, but to be the ones who live out the character of Jesus in the world that we're a part of. That's why we must raise the challenge to live out outward compassion. We will externally impact the community. There will be a significant imprint on our world. That we will externally impact the community in radical ways for the sake of the gospel. That's what outward compassion is. That's what God calls us to. Not just to love God, not simply just to love others, but to do something about it. Friends, each of us are given the standard of love that we should live out for God and for the world around us. But even more so, we need to recognize the responsibility to be accountable for this opportunity. Who might we be as individuals and as a church, as the Jesus community, if we would extend ourselves for God's love and God's glory? We're going to move to a time of response. And every week we pause and we challenge you to go to fcc-online.org forward slash Sunday. And we say, do you have a prayer request? Do you have a decision of faith that you need to make? The reality is, is Jesus shares this illustration to remind us that our lives will be held accountable before him. And so maybe today there is something that you're praying about, something that's a burden on your heart. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your walk with God or responding in obedience to him. To accept him for the first time. To be buried in the waters of baptism. A picture of our death, our burial, and our resurrection. To be now clothed in Jesus. But I encourage you to go to fcc-online.org forward slash Sunday to make a decision today to look for interest, to sign up to serve, to be a part of this movement. I mean, the truth of the matter is, as passionate as we may preach a passage, there are some that may feel left out even right now. I want to encourage you to join us, to be a part of our church, not only to continue to watch what we're doing or to serve where we're serving, but to become a part of our community. You can use that connect card and say you want more information. You want to talk to a pastor, but you are not alone. And we have intentionally created opportunities for relationships to flourish, 
for people to grow in their faith, for people to serve and use their gifts. But we do that together. And you can belong with us. One of the ways we know that we all can belong is this, is Jesus instituted a a reminder, a, a meal, if you will, where Jesus stood before his disciples and he took a piece of bread and he said to them, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And so they did. That piece of bread was a reminder to them, a declaration that it was Jesus' body that was broken on that cross and that was part of the payment for our sin before God. And they said in the same way, uh, he took the juice. And he took the juice and he said, take and drink, for this is my blood poured out for you. A foretelling of his death on the cross being the payment for our sins. So take and drink. As a church, we pause every Sunday to celebrate. I mean celebrate. That Jesus Christ died on our behalf. That Jesus Christ paid for our sins. That Jesus made a way for us to experience life everlasting through him, with him. And so we celebrate because we commemorate that that moment was a watershed moment for all of history so that all of humanity might know his love. One of the last ways that we respond is this. We connect through our connect card. We celebrate and commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection. But then we contribute back to the mission of Jesus. As a church, we prioritize not only using our time and our talent, rolling up our sleeves, but actually committing a portion of our finances. And every one of us, specifically, who call First Christian Church in Champaign or Urbana their home, are challenged to be a part of that mission. We do so by using the Give app, G-Y-V-E, and we want to encourage you to take a moment, maybe to give your first gift, to maybe decide today, in order for the mission of Christ to continue through outward compassion, maybe you take a next step of starting some regular giving or recurring giving. But together, this value of outward compassion is part of us joining in this mission to connect, to celebrate, to commemorate, and to contribute. Let's take the next few moments and let's continue in our worship time together.